Welcome to episode 30 of the Chili on Your Boot podcast. I've got a massive guest today. He's a leading AFL journalist for the Herald Sun and Fox Footy, John Ralph. John, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, can't uh, wait to have a bit of chat about footy. Anytime we can chat about footy is good, given uh, we haven't been able to actually watch it for six weeks or so. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, tell us a bit about yourself growing up. Were you a keen sportsman and did you ever aspire to play professionally? Uh, yeah, I was a keen sportsman, but I knew I was a million miles off it professionally, unfortunately. <laughs> so I was one of those blokes who played every sport under the sun, footy and cricket and tennis. Yeah. And um, yeah, played 60 of very ordinary games for the University Blacks in uh, yeah, okay. at Melbourne Uni. Yeah, always um, always loved it. Um, always felt like the only chance for me to get into footy would be to report about it rather than uh, unfortunately play it at the highest level. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, you, as you mentioned, you did go down the sports media path. Um, had your when did your dream of um, entering that industry sort of come about? Well, I think I was probably you know thirteen or fourteen and realised that you know I was going to go down that arts bent. Um, you know, I really like writing. You know, I really love sport. And the only way I could really see myself combining the two was to be a sports journalist. Yeah. And so um, I did a lot of sort of um, you know, newsletters for the local you know, hockey club. Um, started doing a bit of work experience in that journalistic field. Um, and then um, you know, I did a lot of art subjects and history and all those kind of things. And pretty much realised by year 10 when I just totally flunked my chemistry stuff that, you know, that the, the science part wasn't for me. And so, yeah, was just able to sort of put myself in that picture there where... Um, and I did reasonably, you know, adequately well enough to sort of get myself into RMIT journalism for a second round offer. You know, yep. I didn't actually give round offers, you know, uh, for RMIT in journalism and then didn't even check the results. And then finally someone called me up and says, why don't you go into journalism? I said, no, I didn't. They said, you better check the the, uh, the second round and, and got in. And then, um, yeah, did three years of journalism at RMIT. And, um, yep. you know, as good as it was, just kept on doing work experience, kept on just, you know, trying to build a sort of folio of, of uh, stories and articles and uh, videos and audio reports and no podcasts back then in uh, 2000. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and just was able to, you know, get myself into a situation to put myself forward for a couple of jobs. Yeah, very good. Um, can you take us through a normal day for you at the Herald Sun during the AFL season? What would you say your busiest days? Um, well, Mondays are always chaotic just because um, we've got a Herald Sun footy meeting, so that'd be at 10.30. So you'd get in you know, 10 or whatever it might be. You'd have been you know, checking Twitter from 6.30 or 7 or whenever you wake up, um, you know, even checking how your articles are going on you know, our, our Verity system, which is basically a metric system that shows you whether people are you know, buying um, digital subscriptions, you know, how many page view, views and all those kind of things. And from then on, you're making calls, you're on Twitter, you might be doing, say, a radio interview for yep. you know, radio national which is the radio station i'm on now um you know and then you, the day sort of develops from there you know what the big issues might have been you might have been on fox footy the night before um someone might have given you a whisper i just checked that one out i think that injury is worse than you know than um than the club has revealed uh, we'd have a 10 30 meeting on a monday you know if a coach hasn't been sacked it's just what are the big issues for the week what are the big issues today we need to ch- uh, talk about you know um you know let's say simon goodwin last year is he under pressure you know do yeah, we need yeah. to get to him to his president, his chief executive in um, in uh, Gary um, Pert, and and from there you get out there and you just start making calls. So you know you're calling all of your normal contacts, you're cold calling you know people who you know potentially haven't called you back before. You're just trying to you know not only get stuff on the record, but also just build a you know a picture of um, uh, of the situation. 
uh, and then the day might develop in that you might be writing a feature story, you might be writing a, a digital story, you know, the 15 reasons why Melbourne's failing right now. You know, yeah, those okay. kind of lists online. Um, you might be writing the back page lead, you know, myself with Nick Warner or Mark Robinson. Uh, so all those things are, um, are uh, you know, pretty evolving really quickly. And then it might just be that you just might get a phone call out of the blue from, you know, one of your sources who says this has happened. You chase that hard. You always need to try and find, you know, potentially a couple of sources. Uh, yeah. And then you might online. Then you might do a, you know, a little video with uh, Robbo about what the impact is. You might write, you know, you might do a feeder. But, uh, um, you might be replying to um, the listeners out there or the readers out there and doing a little blog. And then you might, uh, for me on a Monday, I'd be doing a cross for um, AFL Tonight, the Fox footy program at 5.30 or 6.00. Um, and then the story might change again when it's on footy classified and they might have Simon Goodwin on so the story's about him that might be 10.30 so you know that, that story can evolve from 6.30 when you wake up to you know 10.30, 11 at night um, yeah which means it's uh, really satisfying but it's also you know pretty busy and also frustrating yeah. at times um, you know and the worst case scenario is you've got a story that you think you've got and someone else gets it before you so um they're amazing days, but they're also, um, you know, frustrating and, um, you know, just fascinating and, um, yeah, really fast moving. No, that's a great insight. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you mentioned you work at Fox Footy. Can you run us through your role there? Um, so basically, I'm like a, a news guy. So I do AFL Tonight, which is basically a news show from Monday, Tuesday, sometimes more, you know, as, as we've, uh, people have been stood down. And then I do... Um, I suppose it's the news segments on uh, on Wednesday and Thursdays, and also a Sunday Twilight Cross. So basically, just cutting into halftime, cutting into the pre-match, um, doing crosses with Eddie Maguire and uh, those guys. And so, you know, the news of the day. Hopefully, I'll try and bring something a bit new to those guys. Um, yeah. So, for instance, last night um, they had a bit of footy re- rewind. I was on at halftime with Eddie Maguire and Dwayne Russell. Uh, who else was there? Um, uh, uh, Gary Lyon, uh, yeah, and uh, Jared Healy, and we just talked about the um, yeah the potential for the AFL to return. So I um, threw up what I knew. I asked Eddie McGuire a few questions. We're able to get a couple of good sound bites out of Eddie that went onto a Fox Footy story today, where he basically said we might be back playing mid June. He talked about you know the the ruckus between the AFLPA and uh, the AFL in terms of those five uh, month hubs. Yeah, so so my role is to to not only bring news but hopefully ask the right questions. And then we're going to have a bit of fun as well post-match with Wreck-It Ralph, which is just a a segment where I just basically throw out questions to those guys when they haven't... um, I don't know know what those questions will be, but sometimes they're provocative, sometimes they're a bit of fun. Yeah, and it's just a matter of just, um, you know, filling 10 minutes with a bit of of levity, you know, to to end the show. Yeah. Um, Tweeting's a pretty big way of getting your news out along with the articles and the videos you do. Do you find there's a certain craft in the way you get your stories across? I think so, yeah. Like our... um, yeah, we're very much told these days that we can't just tweet a story. We can't break stories on Twitter. You know, um, you know that everything needs to have a link. So, yeah. you, know, the, you know, the most nervous part of my week would always be having a story, knowing if I get it up on Twitter straight away, that I'll break that, I'll have that carriage of that story, you know, and knowing that I can't do that, that I have to wait for a story to be built or if it's in our Herald Sun blog, put that one up. Uh, and then that story goes live and then I can, you know, release it to the world. It sounds so bizarre and, you know, but that's what, what a story is. If I can break it first, that's great. If I've got a second as a breaking news journalist, it doesn't really mean much to me. Yeah. So 
they're always a nervous five minutes waiting for the um, our amazing producers to, to build those links, to send those links back to me so I can put it on Twitter. Um, and then obviously people will click through to that and go to the Herald Sun website, which is the name of the game for us. So, um, so yeah, so what our, our um, digital producers would say that we should lure people in. You'll never guess who's just re-signed at the Sydney Football Club. But I would want to sort of put out something a bit more. You know, Buddy Franklin's just re-signed for another 10 years or whatever yeah. it might be. So... It is always that back and forth between them, you know, luring people in and me trying to get enough of the information across so someone else doesn't steal my thunder. Um, yeah, and so what, what the digital, what, what Twitter would say, we've had the Twitter um, experts in, is that, you know, every time you put a link in, every time you put a video in or a photo in, you know, that, that uh, exponentially uh, grows the, uh, the reach of the tweet. So um, last night, for instance, I was just on Twitter and put up a little Gladiator link, you know, Russell Crowe, Tweeting it was a short little video, 15 seconds, which people will um, will read or sorry will will view. They wouldn't view a five minute video, and just threw it up as a great tweet. That went nuts just because everyone yeah, okay. loves Gladiator. Everyone um, can uh, can stay on for 15 seconds. A lot of byplay, you know, absolutely inconsequential to my role, but just shows that the fewer the things on Twitter that actually catch fire. Yeah, yeah. And what would you say the best live sporting event? Um, you've covered so far is um, I've been pretty lucky. I've done it. For, I've done it for twenty years. So I've done um, uh, three Olympics. So I saw. I didn't see Kathy Freeman. I saw Kathy run a heat in the two thousand Olympics. Um, yeah. I've done a couple more Commonwealth Games. I've done yeah. I think twenty straight Grand Finals. So uh, I've put the hang on. I put the uh, Georgina Ralph's Tiger scarf on. <laughs> uh, the uh, two thousand and seventeen prelim, where the Tigers obviously won that final and got through to the Grand Final. Um, she takes the scarves back. Yeah, but um, the, the extraordinary middle Saturday, the the, the London Olympics, when Mo Farah went around, um, that was quite extraordinary. Um, they won three gold medals in about an hour that day. Uh, Jess Ennis as well, and then to see um, a couple of times live to see Usain Bolt win a hundred meter finals. Yeah, they're just extraordinary. And London, I was right on the start, on the on the finish line there. And even Sally Pearson as well in London, you know, had so, had so much controversy, she had injuries. And I was just sitting there with Scotty Gullen, who's an athletics writer, to see her on the finish line. And she only just got across the line first. She wasn't quite sure that she'd won it. You know, it almost took a photo finish. And you know, they're the moments where um, you just say to yourself, you know, this is a pretty special moment. Like, you know, this is, this is bucket list stuff. And, you know, at times you can take it for granted. And you see, um, you see people doing, you know, things on the world stage like that. You go, that's a real pinch me moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've beat me to my next question, which was, do you support an AFL team? But do you ever find it hard to put your biases aside? Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. Oh, I think people just acknowledge my biases now. You know, <laughs> I've done a lot of radio with Kevin Bartlett uh, yeah. on SEN. And I always used to say, as Mike Sheen used to, that you're barracked for football. Um, Bruce Matthews was one of the great old journalists. He was so impartial that uh, he would always say Barrack for the story. So if the great story was Melbourne getting beaten in agonising circumstances, you know, say that Gary Bacanara, you know, 87. Yeah, yeah. He would, he would say, well, that's a, best, a better story. But that's how impartial he was, even though he had a bit of the Melbourne affiliation. And Mike Sheehan, yeah, certainly, you know, he had a Melbourne affiliation, but never really uh, let that be known. But when you're, you know, laughing it up with Kevin Bartlett and, you know, talking a lot about Richmond and, you know, singing a theme song, you very real, quickly realise that, yeah, you just have to go with it. Yeah. And so, you know, find yourself writing about Richmond and saying, you know, Richmond fans would be very upset with that loss when you're basically talking, you know, about yourself. Yeah. So um, I think as long as you can be critical of them, you know, there's a few journalists around who probably aren't very critical of their, of their side. And I think that bias is a real issue. 
there's always going to be conflicts in footy and there's always going to be, you know, you supporting a certain team. But, yeah, I think as long as you can write a match report where people say, well, that was fair, you know, yeah. whether it was praise or criticism, I, th- I think you're, yeah, you're, in, you're, you're going okay. Yeah, definitely. What are your memories, first memories of being a Richmond supporter and that love for the club that we all know that you can have? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had to wait a long time. I mean, my, um, my brother started supporting them in 83 after the 82 grand final, of course, which they lost. And so, um, you know, I was a bloke two and a half years younger. I just sort of paddled on in. Um, so, you know, I had a lot of futile years, you know, 95 final series. Um, you know, I missed that because I was playing footy myself. 2001, where we beat Carlton, you know, our only two final successes before 2017. And I missed both of those. You know, I've been to a couple of losing finals. I still remember those amazing nights where we'd play North Melbourne and we had a couple of heavy losses, but we had one glorious 10-goal first quarter where we just sat there on the fourth deck of the MCG with my brother and dad and said, oh, you know, this is what it could be like. And then we probably had to wait till 2017. You know, the trio of finals defeats that were all just so agonising in their own way. You know, we lost to Carlton in front of 96,000 people with 33 points up. You know, we, we, we lost the, We won the toss and kicked the wrong way against Port Adelaide. Yeah. You know, we, we got smashed by North Melbourne where Trent Cotchin, you know, I think he had something like seven possessions. And I remember being one of the first in the change rooms after that. You know, everyone had gone to the winners' rooms, everyone had gone to North Melbourne, and I just went there and the blokes were weeping. The blokes yeah. had no idea. Play. And yet Trent Cotchin in the, the couple of minutes afterwards, when he did talk to the media, he was just so... Um, he was so aware of his failings. He was so aware of what he'd done wrong, but he was really frank about what he was going to do right to bring this club together. So, you know, I thought that was pretty amazing. And, you know, maybe there was a bit of a portent in that in terms of how the club was, was able to turn it around. So to, to watch them, you know, coming in, you know, in 2017 and 19, you know, with the Premiership Cup in their hands, you know, I had to wait a, a very long time. But, um, man, it was pretty sweet. You know, when, uh, when we did win a couple of flags and, and might, might win a third one in 2020, let's hope. Uh, you yeah. never know. Well, Benny is a Tykes fan, so that's where that one's come <laughs> from. And you obviously work along some of the biggest names in Australian sport in your roles. Uh, can you take us through some of the relationships with, you have with some of those kind of people? Oh, it's amazing that, that, that they're all, you know, honestly pretty ripping blokes at Fox Footy. You know, SEN as well. You know, a lot of those guys are just really good, you know, soul of the earth people. I mean, you can sit there basically on Fox Footy. For those that don't know, you know, we would top and tail a Friday night game. So, we'd, um, you know, we'd do the pre-match, we'd do halftime, and we'd do the post-match. But when the game's actually on, I'm sitting there taking notes and looking at, you know, reports and tribunal things and, you know, my um, things that are relevant for me. You know, um, John Brown sits to the right of me, um, you know, Dermot Burton, David King, um, Alistair Lynch, Eddie McGuire... Sarah Jones there as well from a you know from a news point of view, and you just again I mean that's another pinch me moment. You just think I'm sitting there chewing the fat with these blokes, and you know um, they're a bit more frank in their views because they're off camera, and you know to see uh, Jason Dunstall watch a Hawthorne game is just a joy to behold because he doesn't hold back, and you know these guys are crabs and these guys are losers, and you know he absolutely loves Hawthorne to the bone, but you know he's. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's full and frank in his criticism of those guys too. So, yeah, they're, they're sort of golden moments to just um, to just watch footy with them and, and after the game, you know, have a couple of beers and, you know, um, Eddie's always keen to get home because he's got his kids' football, but we just try and just, just give us another story, Derm, and give us another story, Ed, and yeah, yeah to hear it, swapping stories back and forth, you know, in the, in the green room after, over a couple of cold Carlton drafts is pretty special as well. 
Uh, your podcast sacked with Glenn McFarlane for the Herald Sun says you speak to some of the more controversial stories in footy histories. You had an article in today's paper about Jason Ackermanis. What are those like to run and be a part of? Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, I always remember um, uh, Kevin Sheedy. You know, he, I used to go to write Kevin and he was always saying we should do a book. And, you know, he had, you know, certain ideas there. And I, I just remember thinking to myself, well, the only book I'd really be interested in writing is something that would touch a lot of people in terms of sackings. Because, you know, in the Herald Sun office, when a coach is sacked, it's, it's almost the most, um, well, it's the most exciting day of the footy season, you know, however many times it happens. And I know that sounds ghoulish, but, you know, there's yeah. just so much getting into the office. Why did it happen? You know, who's going to replace them? And, you know, there's just um, that real punch in the newsroom. And so I always just thought, well, you know, if I was to write a book, that'd be what I'd do, go back and talk to 50 sack coaches. And then, of course, in the podcast era, I thought, well, it makes sense. And just that sacked um, name, obviously, you know, I really, um, when I pitched it to my boss, he said, oh, spot on, do it. Yeah. You know, I don't care podcast is it's just such a sexy name so yeah, it's been really great i mean in the first series we um we talked to you know the luminaries of the coaching establishment and we talked to them before the series came out and so you know they didn't realize how provocative it would be but i think the, the amazing thing is is that we were we thought people would be reticent and there are some but most of them are just really so re- self-reflective about it they've obviously had so much time to think about it so much time to think about what they did right and what they did wrong and it's almost uh, cathartic, I think, for a lot of these guys to get that off their chest. You know, some of them are more provocative. Some of them want to blame people. But even Brendan McCartney, who was um, the second um, uh, topic in our second series a couple of weeks back, you know, he just knew where he'd stuffed up and he was just happy to talk about it. You know, the the, um, the halftime speech where he lost the players, you know, losing uh, Ryan Griffin and why he should have supported him more. I think all of them behind the scenes probably have a bit of shit on the liver about, you know, the people who stabbed him in the back. But... Um, it's been fun. It's been, it's been really good to do, you know, something a little bit different. You know, the new age stuff, but I think a really old school, just news gathering approach, asking the right questions, having the good background on what to ask the questions about and, and you know, the follow up and the time to have a follow up question. Uh, and um, yeah, we, we won a couple of awards over it, which has been really um, yeah. gratifying. Um, and even more enjoyable to do a second season with a few more players as well as coaches um, and enough people who we thought might have been scared off. And I'm happy to tell my story because I trust you guys. And that's been a real real validation for us. Yeah, so you yeah. go to them and they're usually pretty responsive and give you what you want. Yeah, and I think myself and Glenn McFarlane hopefully have put a little bit of trust. Absolutely, yeah. there's guys we go to and they just say, look, I just don't want to go back there or you know, I don't want to um, uh, unearth that, pa- that painful chapter. You know, there's, there's certainly people who have said no. Um, yeah, and so that's the real challenge for us. And so I think, too, there's always stories over your career or people you could burn for a certain story. And and as a journalist, hopefully myself and Glenn have taken the right option and said, look, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to value those relationships. And it's been, um, yeah, it's been edifying that 20 years on, the people that maybe you didn't burn for the right reasons have, you know, have trusted you. So there's times where you call them up and they say, no, I'll do it. You're a good guy. Well, there's potentially a lot of journalists that they would say, well, I remember the 15 times this guy screwed me over and so there's no way I'd, I'd trust them with, um, yeah, with not my deepest, darkest secrets, but with some pretty vulnerable moments in their football careers. Yeah, definitely. And as we know, there's a lot of uncertainty around footy and all sport given the current climate. How do you see everything playing out and what's it like getting some of the info firsthand? 
um, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, and then as I say, you've got to try and get it out on Twitter as quickly as you can and try to break it. So, um, yeah, that 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 can be um, yeah a challenge in itself. Um, I think we've done a pretty good job of sort of going over the the fluctuations and the highs and lows and the various permutations, and maybe we've gone down the rabbit hole with talking about hubs and different things, and you know, speculating about them for a week when it turns out they probably won't you know eventuate. So, I think that the, the industry has probably done a good job of sort of you know getting people into a fizz and talking about certain things and just get, getting people still talking about football because that's been important because we're still trying to sell papers and sell digital subscriptions. So, yeah, I think right now, now on a Saturday, we, we, we'll kill McLaughlin just talked about on Fox Footy Live about the way ahead. Yeah, I think we'll be um, have no hubs. I think we'll potentially be training by the last week of May or potentially even the first week of June. We'll be back playing footy. I think in that fly-in, fly-out capacity of, of yeah, okay. week one. And so... Yeah, I mean, the challenges are going to be if, if players do get coronavirus, the challenge is going to be if we have, you know, a real flare in the community that's going to put those those chartered flights at risk. But I think right now the AFL is really optimistic that they'll, they'll get their season started. They've built in some of those measures that would mean that even if one team has to stand down for a couple of weeks, they would later be able to catch up again in a couple of games and we'll get a season away potentially by the, the last week of October, which is... um which is amazing for the AFL given it means that broadcast rights can continue. They can get $418 million of broadcast revenue. It's going to cost them a heck of a lot of money and, you know, tickets that aren't sold. But, um, you know, rather than the AFL potentially having to look at moving some clubs on, at least they'll be able to just survive for this year and hopefully prosper again in years to come. Yeah. And where do you see your career going from here? Do you aim to stay in the industry for many years to come? Yeah, I hope so. I'm not really good at anything else, so <laughs> not that I'm that good at what I do anyway, but um, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I still see it. I think um, when I got into the industry, you know, with no real online stuff, with um, you know, less of the daily pressure, you know, no Twitter, no social media, you, you could see yourself doing it just forever. You know, just write good feature stories, write breaking news, you know, um, you know still a highly pressurised industry. But I think now you realise that it does take the a toll on you. You know, every interview, you're taking yourself away from your family, all those kind of things. And so... Yeah. Um, yeah, whether you could do the daily news beat until you're 65 years of age, you know that that'd be a challenge. But um, yeah, I think there's always going to be a place in the in the marketplace for for exclusive stuff, for good um, you know exclusive content. You know, now whether whether it's on newspapers, whether I'll still be writing for a daily newspaper, whether the, the daily newspaper will exist in 20 years, whether we're fully migrated to to online presence, no one knows. But I think you just um, you take the challenges. You know, whether it's video, whether it's TV, whether it's online. You know, whatever the new thing is, you just say, okay, I'll try and take my um, my skill set, which is, you know, hopefully getting stuff, just talking about stuff that people are interested in and, um, you know, disseminating it through whatever the platform is of the day. Definitely. Well, John, that's all I've got for you. It's been a great insight for us and for our listeners as well. Um, we thank you very much for your time. No, absolute pleasure, guys. Yeah, hopefully you have some really good luck with the podcast. Thank you. Cheers. Just following on from this episode, we'd like to give a massive thanks to Lockie Brown, a great friend of the show, for helping us out to get John. Thanks. Backdoor.